I want you to open your copy of the scripture to the book of Deuteronomy. It's one of those early books in the Old Testament. It contains basically four sermons or four speeches from Moses to the children of Israel who were just about done with the wilderness years of their lives. Forty, forty of them, forty years. They had, as we say, wandered in the wilderness. It seems it is a way of God. It is one of his ways with his people to plant a hope in the hearts of his people. A hope for something that hasn't happened yet. A hope for something that's coming. A hope for something that is different, but a hope for something that is better. That is better. When the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt miraculously, supernaturally, led across the Red Sea that had parted and led out into the wilderness. In one sense of the word, it, it very easily could have been a short trip from slavery into freedom and then straight into the land of promise, Canaan, that had been spoken to the, their forefathers for many, many, many years prior to this time and had been reminded, given to them in, in various ways of, of uh, remembrance from, from their leaders that we're, we're not destined to be slaves, that we have an inheritance. We have a land that has been promised and it's called Canaan and one day we'll be there. And it was a hope that was alive, but at times it would, it would diminish in the hearts of the people. Could it really be? For 400 years, the Jewish people had been slaves, subjected to slavery by the Egyptians. And then Moses entered the scene and he began to revive that dream. You're not a slave, you're an heir. There's a difference between being somebody's boy and being the owner of the property, the owner of the land. You, you have a place, you have a land, you have a, have a good land that the Lord has intended for you. Well, they, they believed Moses and they saw the hand of the Lord work and Miraculously, they were, they were brought out. But instead of it being just a relatively short trip, it turned into a 40-year mess. 40 years. And the reason for that was that they came up to the edge of the land of Canaan and they were preparing to, to go in, but they decided first they'd send these 12 spies in to, 
to see what it was that they needed to be prepared for and, and what the land was like. And so they sent the 12 in, and you remember the story that 10 came back saying, it is as advertised. It, it is everything that we could ever hope for. The only problem is there are walled cities and there are giants defending those cities and we don't have the military might to conquer and throw out these ones that we would, we're supposed to dispossess. We can't do it. We'll, we'll just, we'll be devoured by them. And they, they powerfully sowed such seeds of doubt in the population that the Israelites rose up to say to Moses and to the only two of the 12 spies that said, we can take it. If God has brought us this far, look what he did before. Look how he got us out of Egypt. If he did that for us, surely we're no match on our own for the giants, but we're not on our own. We're not by ourselves. We, we were standing in the name of the Lord and he's promised it to us and he'll give it to us. Let's trust him. But they were voted down. They were shouted down. And the 10, one more time when the majority was wrong, you know, they voted them down. And, and the Lord spoke to Moses, the leader, and said, for every day that the spies were in the land, 40 days, for every day, there will be a year, a year of wandering in the wilderness until every single one of that generation that were brought out miraculously, rescued miraculously, brought from slavery into freedom, but who doubted, who doubted that I would finish what I started with them. 40 years until every one of that generation is gone. Except for you, Moses, and Caleb, and Joshua, and your families. That's why it was 40 years. It was one year for every day. Children were born during the 40 years. And that is the group that Moses is talking to right now. Moses is not speaking to the ones who actually, as adults, were rescued from, Israel, or from, from Egypt and were brought out, who saw the miraculous hand of the Lord, who saw the plagues and saw the first Passover and saw the Red Sea parted. Every one of them were, not, were gone because of their unbelief. And the only ones who were alive, and there were many of them, who were born in the wilderness, grew up in the wilderness. They didn't even, most of them, even know about Egypt or a home. They never had a home. All they had known was the desert. All they had known was arid, dry, forbidding country, dangerous country. No water, few green trees. But some way or another, even though that's all they had ever known physically, somehow the dream that their parents 
passed on, passed on in the sense of gave up on, somehow took root inside the hearts and the imaginations of this second generation. They determined that what our parents forfeited, we will not give up on. It, It was a critical hour in the lives of many of those children And it's not true in every case, in every family, but it was true with these children and these parents. The children had to come to the conclusion, my parents missed it. My parents made the wrong choice. We will not choose what our parents chose. Again, that's not a blanket statement about all parents and what they put upon all children. But in some cases, that is the critical choice that the next generation, the younger generation has to make as they look across the landscape of their parents' lives and that generation's lives. Will we choose the same things that got them where they are? Or will we determine to believe in our hearts What God said, God will do. What God has promised, God will fulfill. That we will anchor our hope in the promises of God himself. And we we will not be moved by fear of the impossible, by the lack of resources on our own, If God has brought us this far, if God has has given us stuff to eat, we don't even know what to call it, so we call it manna, which means what is it? If time and time again, when we didn't have enough to drink and we didn't, there were no flowing streams, that God miraculously provided through a solid rock for us ability, us to drink and our livestock to drink, if God has done those things, if our clothes hadn't worn out, if our shoes hadn't worn out, if we've still been able to be able to prosper as husbands and wives and children born and, and be taken care of in the wilderness, in a desert, where we've never had a roof over our head, we've never had a one square meter that we could call our own, we've just been aliens and strangers just passing through a desert, If our God has taken care of us through all that for all these years, a great day. If he's he's promised us a land, and a piece of that will be our own. If he's promised us a land that drinks water from the rains of heaven. If he's promised us a land where the soil is fertile and you can mine metals that you can build things with. And if he's promised that, in the light of all he's done before, We will trust him. We will believe him. But they had to make a choice between what their parents had chosen them and what God said is true. And they made the right choice. Finally, the last of that entire generation, it took 40 years for it to happen, but the last of that generation died. And at that point in time, the Lord led the children of Israel, Moses leading them up to the brink of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is what separated Canaan from the wilderness. But when they're getting ready to cross, when the time came for the crossing to happen, there were no bridges. 
they would have to, a couple million people and all their livestock have to walk across, get across the river. The Lord starts them out right off the bat from heaven to, for having to believe him for a miracle. Like this generation, they had heard about the Red Sea parting, but none of this generation other than Joshua and Caleb and Moses had ever seen God do anything with water like that. So here they were on the brink of the conquest of taking what God had promised was theirs, and there's this river at flood stage out of its banks. No telling how wide it was at the crossing. And it was at that point in time that the Lord instructed Joshua. Moses had gone on to be with the Lord by that time, but he instructed Joshua, now is when you're going to cross. You set the priests with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders in the water, and I will cause the water to part. Which he did. And the conquest began. But prior to that, they're still in the desert. They're still on the wilderness side of the good land that the Lord has promised. Moses speaks to the people. Now, I don't know, again, no way for one person to totally know what another person is actually going through, as much as we may care about each other and and feel that we know each other. Only the Lord knows in your heart where you are this morning. But I want to say to you, I believe this is a truth from the heart of God for you. He's saying, trust me, I am bringing you into a good place, to a good place. Chapter 8, Deuteronomy, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Oh, no, no, stop that, man. Has led you in the wilderness. This was not the guilty generation. The ones Moses is speaking to here, this this is the believing generation. But there had been a mixed gathering, a mixed house for a while. Unbelieving with believing. That's important to keep in mind. So, So what unbelieving parents can do, the choices that unbelieving parents can do, directly affects the material, physical, and in some ways spiritual outcome of the children under them. This generation had to wait until the consequences that were necessary in God's sight to be meted out upon their parents, those were out of the way, and then they could step into, the children now could step into the full light of the glory of God's plan for them. But Moses is saying, even when you were under and having to walk out the consequences of disobedience and unbelief, 
by those in authority over you, even in that, God was still leading you. God hadn't abandoned you. He hadn't forsaken you. There was still a measure of the Lord leading you. He was taking care of you. He was providing for you. But that's important to keep in mind. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. When God speaks, he doesn't mince words. When God says something, he does it. And it was necessary for the wilderness years to have their play, have their part in this generation's life in order for that to be truth. We may not see water. We may not see green grass to feed our livestock. We may not see it. But if God has said it, it will be there when we need it. End of statement, end of discussion, end of debate. That's what the wilderness did for this young folks. It taught them that if all you have is the favor of God, you have need of nothing else. Sometimes it takes a wilderness season to teach us those things. We don't learn a whole lot of those kinds of character truths and realities. We don't learn a whole lot of that when everything's smooth. And we're reading the stories of other people's lives. But when we walk through it, and we don't have any other option but God, and we find him to be on a consistent basis to be everything we needed him to be. Maybe not giving us everything that we had hoped it would be that he would give us or turn out exactly the way, but we've known him to be faithful. We've known him to be there. We've known him to be able to roll up his sleeves and bear his strong right arm and meet our need in a way that we know it came from him. You, 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 gotta, you gotta have that working in you in order really to be ready for the opportunity of the good land that the children of Israel were about to walk in. He says in verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you were to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, not punishing you, but training you, equipping you, stretching you teaching you, getting you ready, just as a man disciplines his son, trains his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. When you get into the new land, when you get into the good land, 
to remember that the reason you got even to the point of this opportunity is because you had been honoring the Lord in the wilderness. You had been looking to him in the wilderness. The same things that were credits to you in the wilderness season will continue to be credits to you in the good land season. Don't lose track of that connection. You've been brought to this place of opportunity because you were found faithful in the place of challenge. The season of challenge. Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills. And I'm sure when Moses started talking like this, he didn't have a PowerPoint presentation. He didn't have a slideshow. He didn't have any video And in some cases, and probably in many cases, he was using terms and describing types of land and types of water that this generation could only imagine. They had never seen it before. It was like Moses was describing to them, telling them a fairy tale of this imaginary, unreal existence where there would be plenty of water, not just pools of muddy water, but running water, small streams of water, rivers of water. If if, if you hadn't been thirsty in a while, if you hadn't been through a desert in a while or an arid river in a while, but, but for 40 years, that's all they knew. But he's telling them about this good land that's just flowing forth in valleys and hills with water, a land of wheat and barley. Probably some of them had never even seen a stalk of wheat. Didn't even know what it was to grow a barley crop because all they had known was a desert, sand and rocks and steep up and down and dry. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you shall eat food without scarcity, when you shall not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and satisfied and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land, for the good land which he has given you. For the good land which he has given. You didn't earn it. You know you don't deserve it. It was something that God has chosen because he loves you to give it to you. I want to give you, list for you, a few descriptions, a few aspects of this good land. What what does the good land look like? What would it be like that the Lord would be taking his people into? If this is a type, if this is a symbol, if this is a picture, and that is how Paul instructed that we should interpret the Old Testament, is to read through what he did with Israel, read through what he did with the kings and the prophets and so forth, and realize that those things were written for our instruction. 
They are written to give us an understanding of the ways of God and how he does things and how he responds to his people and the right ways for his people to respond to him. A good place, a good place that the Lord is bringing you to, first of all, it's going to be a place of freedom. Slaves, that, that, that's what they were. And evidently their parents had a hard time getting that out of their system. That, that they weren't slaves anymore. They are heirs. They are children of God. They are joined, we'll be, as we speak in the New Testament, we're joined heirs with Jesus Christ. But to as many as received him, Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. That's why we say it all begins right there with receiving Jesus. Your mother can't do it for you. It doesn't matter how many Christians or preachers or deacons or whatever they were in your family line. You have to receive, just like if I, if I handed you this notebook, it would not become yours. I'm giving it to you until you took it. The free gift of forgiveness and the free gift of becoming a part of the Father's family and, and uh, heaven and home and all the, is our, is our home and all of those things that, that the Lord wants us to have, they fall on deaf ears. It, it, it's a gift that, is not, that, is, that does no good until it is received. Have you ever, I'm not asking your wife, I'm not asking your, your mother, or, have you ever personally, you personally, at a point in time, that you know it happened, where you opened your heart up to Jesus Christ and you said to him, Jesus Christ, the best I can, I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord. I receive you as the one who died on the cross for my sins. I'm putting my trust in you alone. I'm not putting my trust in how much money I give to the church or how good I'm going to try to be from here on out or what I'm going to quit doing or what I'm going to start doing. I receive you, Jesus Christ, today, right now, at this point in time, on this spot, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Now, my friend, if you have never done that, you have never done that, or words to that effect, Jesus, I receive you, that all of the promises of God that he intends for his people are without effect in your life. Heaven is a wish for you, but not a certainty. Forgiveness and freedom from sin and the power of Satan, it's a wish, but it is not a reality because the only way that Satan will ever get off of you is by the power of the living Christ inside of you. So I receive him. I embrace Jesus. I may not understand all the things about him. I may not know, be able to call to mind every aspect of all that he did, but the best I can, I've opened my heart up to Jesus, not God in general, not the Baptist church, not the Catholic church, not the Virgin Mary. She didn't save anybody. Jesus saved. Jesus saves. Jesus saved. But to as many as received 
him, Jesus. John 1, 12. To these, he gave the right. He gave the authority. He gave the power to be called the children of God. Now look, the thing about that is, when, when that drops 18 inches, when that drops 18 inches, can I say that one more time? When that drops 18 inches out of your head and into your heart, then you understand from that point on that you are a walking, talking, breathing child of the king. You're not a slave. You're not under Satan anymore. You're a child of the king. And as a child of the king, you have reason to expect that there is an inheritance that is reserved for you. And a part of that inheritance is just what we're talking about right now. The Lord says, I'm bringing you into a good place. The ultimate good place, of course, is heaven, the Father's house. The streets are paved with gold and there's no sickness and there are no hospitals and there are no armies to fight battles. Every debt's paid, every obligation met. Everybody's young and good looking forever because the stain and the tent of sin is the death process which aging is a part of that process. And when that's all gone, Nobody's getting older, and all the taint of age has been removed. So when we step through those pearly gates ourselves and we start looking out across those faces, backing up Jesus who comes to meet us at the gate, and we start looking at all those faces, there won't be an old man or an old woman anywhere in the house. You'll have to remember ones as they were. Maybe just in pictures, because we never knew our grandparents when they were younger. We didn't know those things, but as they stand in the presence of the Lord on this day, on this day at this hour, everything of sin and everything of Satan is gone. Amen. That, that's, that's, that's the good land. That's the, good, the ultimate expression of the good land. But Jesus said this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy in this life. But I have come that they might have life in this life and that they might have it super abundantly, super abundantly. And as a part of that super abundant life in this life, the Lord says to us, I'm bringing you to a good place. Not talking about heaven ultimately, that's certainly a part of it. But I am bringing you to a good place. The word for good, the Hebrew word for good can be can be defined by these other words. Pleasant. Beautiful. Excellent, lovely, delightful, convenient, joyful, 
fruitful, precious, cheerful kind. Moses was saying as he spoke for the Lord, this land that you're being taken into is a land that is described that each of those terms will fit. There's going to be something about this that will be precious to you. This, this place I'm taking will be precious. There's, there's something about this place that's going to have a kind tone to it. There's something about this place that will be marked by joy. There'll be something about this place that will be delightful to you. Now that's as compared to the desert of the wilderness the always moving in the wilderness, the scarcity of the wilderness, the extremes of the wilderness, the danger of the wilderness. He was describing the exact opposite of what their experience was at that point in time. But for them, he wasn't talking about heaven. For them, he was talking about another, live, another level, another set of chapters of their own this earth experience. You've known God being with you in the wilderness. Watch God now be with you in the land of promise. You will be carrying from the wilderness into the land of promise the things that were necessary in God's plan for the wilderness to establish in you. You were tested. Will you obey him or not? And he watched you and he saw you. You obeyed. You kept his word. You honored him in the wilderness. God has honored that, blessed that, brought you up to this point. Those things that were in place in the wilderness will be implemented further. The good land will be a place of freedom. Freedom from users and takers. Freedom from resistance in the sense that those who have been your overlords some way or another have been removed. They've used you. They've taken from you. They've resisted who you really are. You say, well, I'm not sure, Pastor, exactly how that's going to work out in a practical way in my life because of who I'm married to or because of who my boss is at this point in time. The Lord has an amazing way of setting people free, even in places of physical bondage. The Apostle Paul wrote while he was waiting, very likely, for the executioner's call for him to come out of the cell and to be taken to death from a, from a Roman prison cell. Here's what he said. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm telling you, rejoice. 
if the Son has set you free, this is Jesus talking, you are free indeed. Paul would say, the power of these bars, the power of these walls, the locks on these shackles have no ability, no power to restrain the flow of the Word of God. The Word of God just goes anywhere, anywhere God chooses to send it, and I am free in the Spirit of Jesus Christ alive in me. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Paul more than likely wrote that from a prison cell. How, how crazy is that, little crazy old man? Locked up, destined to die, but talking about freedom. So it doesn't have to be that the taskmasters in your life who would try to keep you under the thumb, who would try to keep you as a slave in Christ, they don't have that authority. Now, they may still tell you what you have to do eight to five and et cetera, et cetera. But as far as them owning you, as far as every time they, they grimace your direction, you buckle and quake and quiver all the way down to your toenails because they might be mad at you. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there can be a measure of a good place, a measure of the good land, even if there was a part of you that finds itself in some sort of physical, material, earthly constraint. Freedom from users and takers and resistance. The freedom to. Freedom from, but freedom to. Freedom to choose. Freedom to decide. Freedom to attempt, freedom to try. These children of Israel, as they were slaves, and, and even in the wilderness, they were very limited in what they could decide on their own, what they could choose. But the Father was saying, I have plans for you that you'll be in a place where you won't have everybody telling you what to do and how to think all the time. That you're going to have the ability to choose on your own. To decide for yourself. The folks, I, I don't know any other way you can take that. The Lord brings them into the land. Well, the next thing that, that is going to say that ties into this, the, the good land is going to, it's going to have ownership of property. Ownership of property. The slave never owned anything. When they were in the wilderness, they were free slaves, but they didn't, earn, own a, they didn't own a square inch of that dirt they were walking on. For 40 years, they never owned a thing. But the Lord is saying, there's a, a good land. And there's a part of that. The whole of it belongs to the whole of the people. But there'll be a chunk of it. There'll be a piece of it. There'll be a south 40 of it that's yours. I want you to have something on this earth that you can call your own. You can take care of it. You can cultivate it, nurture, develop it. Ownership of property. Ownership of property. 
Now, you're going to have to tweak that yourself. What, is, what would that mean for you? It, it isn't necessarily physical, though it can be physical. It should be as real to us as it is as something physical that we could look at. But Paul didn't own anything except about two-thirds of the New Testament that was his intellectual property by the power of the Spirit working in him. Ownership, property. Where in that place, you have a chance to choose, you have a chance to decide, you have a chance to risk, you have a chance to develop. We have only one grandchild who is a grandson who is absolutely, unequivocally, the smartest little child, <laughs> the most handsome young man, the most brilliant and qualified in all aspects of any child that has ever sucked a breath. I'd let you know where I stand and where his grandmother stands. But right now, he's just barely turned two, and he's at that stage of attempting things. You know, sometimes I think it's the female side of things. They're, they're wanting to make sure they don't get hurt. The dad side of things said, look, let him, let him skin his knee, let him bump, let him fall off something, and then he'll learn from that, and he'll do better next time. But when, when the little guy decides that he wants to try going down some stairs by himself without holding on to one of our hands, or he wants to get on one of those little things that's got pedals on the front, on the front wheel. And he's going to decide whether or not he can push at the right time. And then he gets to go. And I push to help him a little bit with that. And, and he'll get to go. And then if he decides he wants to turn, and he tries. And he may go over. But we're, we're watching that. Look at this kid. Look at what he's doing. We know, we know on down the road that it'll, he'll go from a tricycle to a bike or to whatever else, but, but for right now, we're just thrilled that he's got a chance to try. Where'd we get that? Where'd that come from? Where did that sense of delight and that one little boy, like he's the only two-year-old child who has ever lived worth being called an American San Antonio Walker kid? <laughs> Where'd we get that? The heavenly Father puts that in the hearts of parents, I believe, and grandparents just to reveal how much he cares about you, what a delight you are to him, how there's a desire in his heart for you to take a shot at some stuff, try some things, and to bring you into a place where it's enough yours that you can try, that you can go for it. He wants you to have a place that's yours. That's yours. Now, you, know, you may be in partnership with somebody. You may be doing those things. It's okay. But the, even if it's that, there'll still be a sense, well, this part of it, this part of it is mine. If that wasn't the delight in the Lord's heart, he would not have called for and given the instruction to Joshua to divide up the land of Canaan according to tribes 
And then the tribes would divide the land up according to families, and then the families would divide the land up according to members of the household. He wanted them to have a place. He wanted there to be some part of their life that, at least in this world sense, earthly sense, they owned. Ownership of property. Third, the joy of work. Taking you a good place. Folks, listen, it's not going to be the place where it's nothing but a, you know, 24-7 nap. A bevy of servants coming with Diet Coke and Oreos. Anytime we want to. He understands that there is a joy in giving ourselves to something that we enjoy doing, working with our hands, and seeing those things happen in the way that we had planned or hoped they would. Deuteronomy 28, the Father's heart, he's saying, I want to, when are you in that land? I want to bless the work of your hands. All this business about, well, Christians just, you know, they're, 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 they're once, when I really make it, when I really make it, I'll have so much money I won't have to worry about, I won't have to do anything. Wait, will you be as bored as a toad? Bored stiff. The Lord's wired us to work. He's wired us to be engaged. He's wired us to use the abilities that he's given to us. But it's in this place you work because you want to, not because you have to. The have to is the taskmaster deal. The want to is a part of being set free. The want to is a part of the joy of being who you are, what you've been developed to do. As you've followed the Lord into this land, he moves you into this place, and he's giving you opportunity. All this stuff had to be, you know, the, the, the fields were going to have to be that were fertile. They were going to have to be planted. The stone was going to have to be cut. The ore was going to have to be mined from it. There was building. There was working. There was craftsmanship. There was engineering. There was all that kind of stuff. He didn't just give it to them already finished. Because he knows us. And he knows he's wired us with a desire to accomplish things and do things and fix things and write things that we can see. I sometimes get looked at, like some of you looking at me right now, when I start talking like that. You mean, Pastor, to tell me that God is interested in the pair of pliers that I work with. You mean to tell me that he's interested in, in whether or not I got enough stuff stocked for, you know, for, for, for brake shoes and for changing out alternators. And, and, and he's interested in the kind of stuff I go walk down that H-E-B line and I got to figure out which kind of black beans I'm going to get. You mean he's interested in all that? Let me tell you, it's not that you're going to sin by picking the wrong kind of black beans from an H-E-B shelf. But to say that your heavenly father is less interested about you than you would be with your own child who's just learning to figure stuff out is to make a massive mistake. He's interested in you. You matter to him. Choices that are before you, you can bring him in on. Lord, what do I do? Just like we get so tickled when these little ones try stuff and they're learning stuff and they're trying to say hippopotamus, you know. Now go, 
Good shot. Good try. I know what you were trying to say. Rest of the world, idiot world, didn't know what you were trying to say, but I knew. The joy of work. And then in a place, a good place, where there's just a sense that there's the favor of the Father. The favor of the Lord upon it. When you're, in the, when you're in bondage and it's, you're in slavery, the Lord wasn't necessarily free to pour out all he wanted to pour out upon his children while they were slaves because the Egyptians didn't need to get blessed that way. But once the step was moved, was taken, and they were out from under that, and they were being prepared by the wilderness, and they were coming into the place of their destiny, all the things that the Lord has had in his heart that he would desire to bestow upon his people, provide for his people, bless his people with. Now he's free to do it. I want this on my tombstone, what I'm fixing to read to you. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do and all his, do all his commandments, which I command you today. In other words, I'm taking you into this good place as my people who are bearing my reputation. If you live in a manner that is worthy of my reputation as my people, watch what I will do. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Meaning, they won't have the ability to dominate you, to rule you, to own you. It's speaking of the heart freedom, the spirit freedom. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. Come upon you means you're not running after them, they're running after you come upon you means you're not capturing them. They're catching up with you. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the Father's heart of favor, desiring to favor his children. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground. And the offspring of your beasts, and the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. There in lies the black beans on the HEB shelf, right there. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all you put your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The favor of the Father. The Father's favor upon the plan and the place where he has brought us. Scott Bales, this verse is for you. This verse is for you. Scott is one of these craftsmen. He can make, he can make a two-by-four look like something 
that the original tree could not even imagine. Amazing. Sometimes you guys who are skilled in those work with your hand kind of deals. And on a few occasions when I've had the privilege of kind of working alongside Scott, I just call myself his beautiful assistant. Just give me one of those belts and give me some stuff to put in those belts. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I, I'm going to just stay close to him and watch what he does. But now the Lord spoke to Moses when it came time for them to, to craft the, the, the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle. Listen to this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, of the tribe of Judah. Now listen to these words. And I have filled him with the spirit of the Lord in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for works in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Where did he get the ability? God says, I gave it to him. I anointed him. I gifted him, and he uses those terms in the same way he would use what he would give a king for his authority or a prophet for his ability. And behold, I myself have appointed with him this guy's name that I can't even pronounce, Aholiab, the son of somebody else in the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. In the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill to do what? Woodworking tools to wield them properly and effectively and with excellence. To be able to do the math, to figure out how long it's got to be cut this way and how, how deep the groove's got to be cut. To. I gave it to them. But don't you be thinking that the only thing God gives stuff to is somebody who stands behind a pulpit and hollers and spits and sweats with the Bible open. Whoever you are, whatever you do, for the joy is in you to do it. Your heart belongs to the Savior. Don't apologize for what your profession is. Don't apologize for where your skill sets are. You just understand that they are gifts straight out of heaven. And the Father who gave them to you delights to see you use them. Delights to see you develop them. Just like we're going to watch a two-year-old turn into a four or five-year-old and he'll be trying to ride a bike. Some days chickens, some days feathers. Let those kids ride those bikes on soft grass so when they fall over, they don't hurt themselves, but they are going to fall. But we get a kick out of watching them try. Your heavenly father is not some stoic, carved in granite, unmovable, unknowable, unfeeling deity. He said, when the spirit of my son comes to dwell within you, out of your heart will come the same cry that comes from the heart of my only begotten son, Jesus. And that cry will be, Abba, Abba. It means daddy. It means daddy. And, and the tense of that verb is continuously crying out, Abba, Father. 
throughout the events and, and, and details of our lives, that just like we would want a child if, we, if they knew that we were close and they were needing help, they would, to be continually looking to us. We wouldn't do everything for them, but if we could give them some security just by our presence, that would thrill us. Daddy? No, my name, you know what my name is? Pop. Pop. P-O-P-T-H. He's got a little bit of a list. We're going to work on that. Pop. But I'll tell you, when that little blue-eyed kid looks up at me and he says, Pop, I, I don't care what else is going on in the world. It doesn't matter who else needs me. Pop is coming forth. Pop is going to be there. Floor, high chair, top row of the bunk bed, down there on the floor, stacking up, you know, eating Skittles. We'll, we'll do it all, Pop. But where does that come from? Where does it come from? The heart of a grandfather, a father, a mother, to just be drawn to a child. Where does that come from? The Heavenly Father working it into us. And if you'll let this in, folks, listen, I'm telling you, some of you listen to this, it's just, it's just an overload, it's just a blow away, I can't let it in, I can't let it in. Well, just, just, just stop a minute and hush. And just ask him, Lord, if that's really how you feel about me, if that's really your heart for me, would you help that to go 18 inches? Because you know, sometimes the reason we try so hard and sometimes the reason we get so mad at stuff and we're so short-tempered and we don't have enough to really be be patient with anybody else is because we doubt that. We don't feel like we are important. We don't feel like we have any worth. So we've got to prove it, that I'm worth something. It doesn't mean that you quit working. It doesn't mean that you just go over and take a nap for the rest of your life. But it means that you're in a place of being free to do some things that you really want to do instead of just being driven to do some stuff you have to do. The taskmaster versus the freedom of a slave. Trust me. I'm bringing you to a good place. A place of freedom. A place of ownership a place of joy of work, a place of the favor of the Father. And last of all, a place of contentment. Moses said, when you come into the land and you you eat of the land and are satisfied, You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given to you. Here's a question. Are you satisfied? Are you content? See, money and jumbo CDs and even debt-free properties do not have the power to bring contentment to the soul. In fact, Paul wrote this to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. After all, 
We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let us be satisfied. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, craving stuff, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves, pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, you can only have one mouth full of food in your mouth at a time. Mouthful of chicken enchiladas. Mouthful of fajitas. Mouthful of shrimp. Mouthful of fried catfish. It doesn't matter how much else is out there. You can only take one bite of food at a time. You can only one, wear one pair of boots, or ladies wear one pair of shoes. It doesn't matter if you got 60 of them on the shelf. You only got one pair of feet. You only got one. So Paul is saying, if, if, if the Lord has seen fit to fill my mouth and clothe my body with whatever he's chosen to do it with, I'm satisfied with that. I'm content with that. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Loving it. And the love of money is a cruel taskmaster never leaving you satisfied. And the love of money will make you a cruel taskmaster, using and abusing and driving away people who don't deserve what you have become in their life. Well, Paul says to Timothy, you run from that. Be content with the way the Lord has chosen to provide for you. Rejoice in that. Be grateful for that. But, but don't be a slave to stuff. We say that. At the same time as we say that the Lord is bringing us into a good place. And it may be manifest in very amazing material, physical, financial ways. But we're free when we know that that doesn't own us. That we were loved by our Father, cared for by our Father before we ever had that stuff. We knew Him and He grew closer to us when we were in seasons of great lack and we knew His provision. Now it seems as if the, His ability to provide and to protect it, it is now moving into a season of time where He's prospering. But it's still all Him. It's still all Him. And before him we bow. 
before him we rejoice in. Not thinking that it's any part of us that caused it to change, to be that way. I'm bringing you to a good place. I'm bringing you to a good place. Shirley and I, in about the 20-something the years of our marriage, and you've been around here a while, you, you know our story that, you know, you just, you, you, you know, we were, we were lied to early on and said, if you can make it the first two or three years of your marriage, you're home free. That was a bald-faced lie. Somebody just, you know. You're still kind of dreaming through about maybe year 10, but there can come a time in a marriage, and it can be a marriage that quotes scripture and is in church and lots of, lots of things biblical and spiritual going on, but there can come a time when the husband and or the wife can find themselves uncomfortable, uneasy, more at odds with each other than they are in common with each other. Little things have grown by that time to become big things. And Shirley and I just, you know, we would have some honest talks. I was the pastor of this church. She was the pastor's wife of this church. And we'd look at each other. Just up. I know I love you. But I'm not really sure I want to keep doing it this way anymore. I mean, there was a point in time where we just, we left. One summer, we just left. And we didn't know if we were coming back together or to the church. This is 15, 20 years ago now. I remember Sammy, Sammy Tippett saying something to us. And any pastors who are listening this morning. He said, David, churches will come and go. People in churches will come and go. But God's only given you one, Shirley. You love her. You take care of her. You do what's right by her. Wise counsel, sound, bore witness with my heart and so we left and went away just, just trying to see if it'd be possible for us to fall in love again. I mean, we were doing all the marriage things, you know, all the ministry things. But, and I got to tell you, something happened. And I'm not sure where in the journey. We just started migrating from New Mexico and ended up in Montana, just went mountains. We love mountains. We determined we were going to do things that we love doing together. We wore ourselves out playing tennis. We love, wore ourselves out hiking hikes and doing crazy things and carrying bear spray through Montana woods. And somewhere in the process of that, where the complications of everything else just kind of diminished, you know, I would look at her and I would just say, that's the one that I wanted to get old with. That's the one that I couldn't imagine my life being without.
I don't know what happened to her. I mean, along that, I don't know what, but, but, but there, there was something. And, and so when, when we, we come in, that, that's like 20, 25 years into the marriage. But what we have a chance to say to couples who feel like their marriage has become a wilderness, don't quit. Don't give up. At at that point in time, we didn't realize it then, but we see it now. God was working out of us, getting out of us some stuff that needed to be out. Some places of bondage and some places of mental mindsets that just were wrong. They were, it wasn't freedom and he wanted to set us free. The reason couples who came together loving each other and the Lord brought them together, but they find a place where they're, they're at odds with each other and don't know what, how can we, we don't even want to do this anymore. Very likely at the core of that is God is bringing pressure to bear on some stuff inside both of you that needs to change, that he wants to set you free from. Some attitudes, some maybe some unforgiveness, maybe some mindsets of what a husband's supposed to be, a wife's supposed to be, all that. And the Lord, the Lord said, I don't know where you got that. You didn't get that from me. Let me talk to you. Let me show you. Let me, from the love in my heart, for the love in my heart of that one that is your spouse, let me talk to you about her. Let me talk to you about him. I'm bringing you to a good place. You may be 30 years in your marriage. You may be 15 years in your marriage or five years or 45. Marriage can be the closest thing to hell on earth or the closest thing to heaven on earth. And if you find yourself somewhere in between, would you just open your heart up to this statement from the Lord that maybe he's saying, I'm bringing you to a good place. Trust me. Trust me. Don't check it in. Don't quit. Don't bail out. I heard a man one time who had been married to the same woman for 29 years. Christian man, Christian father, who became involved with the wife of a co-worker because his marriage had grown stable and so forth. But he looked at me after that marriage had broken up and now married to the one who was supposed to be the one who would fill in all the gaps and satisfy all the whatevers. And he looked at me and he said, David, you tell other men who are thinking about doing what I've done. You tell them it's never going to be what they think it's going to be. There is pleasure in sin for a season, but the wages of sin is death. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Lord says. So, what's our option? 
Lord, I, I surrender myself with all of the things that can swirl in my mind, the different kinds of emotions and the wants and the fears and regrets. I just come to you. I'm your child. You're my father. Please forgive me. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. And if you're a couple, you start praying that individually for your marriage. And then when you can, pray it together. And you watch what he'll do. I'm bringing you to a good place. I am bringing you to a good place. Trust me.